How fashion and luxury will evolve in the face of disruption brought on by the pandemic, new technologies, and environmental and social concerns is a question top of mind for the industry. What will fashion look like in two, three, or 10 years time? To answer it, we're spending 30 minutes each week with industry innovators leading the way through a changing landscape. I'm Hilary Milnes, and this is The Future of Fashion, The Innovators by Vogue Business. This podcast is sponsored by PayPal, the most trusted buy now, pay later brand, according to a recent survey, which gives merchants access to PayPal's 377 million users worldwide. Learn more at paypal.com slash paylaterenterprise. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Future of Fashion, The Innovators by Vogue Business. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes. Fashion's role in biodiversity and its negative impacts on the environment is an area of focus for sustainability experts in and around the industry. Our guest today works at the intersection of innovation and sustainability for fashion group Caring. Dr. Helen Crowley, head of sustainable sourcing and nature initiatives, will join us to discuss fashion's connection of will join us to discuss fashion's connection to biodiversity and the steps being taken to improve its standing. We'll come to Helen in just a moment. Also here today is Vogue Business Senior Sustainability Editor, Rachel Cernansky. Hi, Rachel. Great to have you on. It's great to be here. This is one of my favorite topics. So, Rachel, you've written about fashion and biodiversity several times in the past year or so. Um, Can you tell us why this is such an important topic? Why are we here talking about it today? Globally, nature is declining faster than ever. A report came out a year or so ago showing that one million species of plants and animals are threatened with extinction across all habitats, land, sea, everywhere. And as we've passed the year anniversary of the COVID pandemic, we sort of can see clearer than ever the link between biodiversity, conservation, and and our health and well-being. So tell us, what, what ties fashion to biodiversity? So it's mostly in the sourcing. You know, our clothes come from somewhere. It's easy to forget, uh, but cotton that's in our t-shirts was grown on on cotton farms and there's wool and all of these materials have impacts on on the ecosystems that they're grown in, whether they're positive or negative impacts is sort of what we're here to talk about. But um, there's the question of what was there before on the land where the material is being grown or produced. Uh, often land was deforested to produce that crop or just, you know, other ecosystems that are destroyed to make way for for farms. And then it's also about what practices are used while these crops are being raised. And then, of course, there are all other links in the supply chain to like water pollution from factories and various things and end-of-life questions with microplastics. But But it's really most in the raw material sourcing. And of course, what you cover often comes down to whose responsibility is it when it, you know, we're looking at um, fashion's impact on the environment, its impact on biodiversity. Um, Are you seeing increased initiatives and focus on the brand side um, to lessen its impact here? What's the progress like so far? This feels like um, a bit more of a nuanced concept than we often hear about on the customer facing side. Yeah. And it seems to me, and I'll be very curious to hear Helen's thoughts uh, as we talk today, but um, my sense is kind of yes and no. Uh, We're seeing a lot of progress on specific issues and sort of incremental progress, but it doesn't seem like there's a ton of movement yet. There's a lot of talk about circularity and different business models, but I'm not seeing that change yet where there's the sort of macro level change that that we need to see. Great. So thank you, Rachel. And with that, we'll bring in our guest and dive in. Uh, Helen, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Hi, it's lovely to be with you. Thank you. Great. Yeah, I'm sure we have a lot to uncover in, in those past 10 years and, and what's to come as well. Um, and so I guess on the high level, do you want to start by kind of describing your role? What team you mentioned, you, you know, you're working in the sustainability department. What teams do you touch on and, and all of that? Yeah, so it's it's evolved a lot in the last decade, obviously, when we when we first started. And now the brands themselves, so, you know, Caring is the mother company of several maisons. At the moment, we have 14 or so, um, from luxury to uh, sort of luxury, hard luxury, jewellery, right through to um, to leather goods and apparel, obviously, Gucci, Saint Laurent, and people know a lot of the maisons. So there's been an evolution at the corporate level, the sustainability department, and it's divided into different sort of subgroups. And I'm in the program team, which basically we try and figure out what the framework for action is, um, what our standards and best practices are, and then help the brands and support the brands put those into place when it comes to sustainability. So what does it mean to be more sustainable? What does it mean to source more sustainable raw materials? We sort of help set a framework and support, like we're sort of technical advisors to the brands, give support for action. And the brands themselves, the Maison, have got their own capacity that's developed radically over the last 10 years. So they do a lot of the implementation themselves and we help support that. But we sort of create an overarching, like I said, a framework of action for the brands to help um, move through a more sustainable journey and get to certain outcomes. We have strategies in place that say what we want to achieve by 2025. We have a biodiversity strategy. We have an overarching sustainability strategy. We want to reduce our impact. All of those things we help sort of craft with the brands, but at the corporate level, but then help implement it with the brands. Can you tell us just how is, is fashion connected to biodiversity? And from your seat at Caring, what are you know your top priorities here to make progress in that area? Okay, so let's, that's a big question. So can I just unpack it a little bit? Rachel touched on this first really well in the beginning too. You know, biodiversity, living nature, the living part of nature is all around us, right? It's like, so if you say, oh, why is biodiversity important? It's sort of like saying, we're asking a fish, tell me why water is important to you. You know, you're living in it, you're, it's, it's your whole surroundings, the air we breathe, the water we drink. It all comes from the interrelatedness of species and processes in living nature. So there's this sort of fundamental understanding that we need to have that we are intimately connected to nature at so many levels. And we've sort of lost that over the centuries, decades, however you want to view it. We as as society have sort of lost that connectivity to nature. So I think there is a really fundamental issue of understanding how dependent we are on nature and how we're linked to nature as a society. And, and you know, there's been reports, as Rachel said, there's reports showing that uh, biodiversity and living nature is declining. And there's been reports from the World Economic Forum showing that business really, it's really going to affect our economy. It's going to affect our business across all sectors, you know, and half of the global GDP is moderately or highly dependent on nature. You know, so, and when I say nature, I mean like this sort of living nature, this sort of this interrelatedness of, of species and ecosystems. So, we're all part of this and we really need it to survive and thrive. So there's sort of that big picture that's important to think about. It really is. Fashion has a particular relationship with living nature and biodiversity. We use it in the sense that we use species. We use, use vicuña, 
We use wild species. We use domesticated species that depend on soil and nature to function. So we use wool and we use cashmere. So we, we use it. Um, we depend on it for our business, but we also impact it. So we have that sort of two sides of the coin of a dependency, but through the way we use it, we're having these negative impacts. But we're also, as, a, as an industry, inspired by nature. Our products, the patterns on our products, the designs, not just the materials that go into it, have an, are inspired by nature. So we sort of do have, I think the fashion sector has a special relationship with nature. And now um, we have this incredible opportunity to give back to nature, to make a difference, to help people understand how clothes link back to doing good and um, not doing bad when it comes to species and ecosystems and all the things upon which we depend. There's such a range of impacts, you know, as you sort of touched on, it's such a big topic from the microscopic organisms in soil to large scale deforestations. Fashion has impacts on all of it. As the industry starts to turn its attention to biodiversity, what are the areas that you see as the sort of low-hanging fruit that fashion can address relatively easily? And then which are the hardest to eliminate? Great question. Um, And you're right, it can be pretty boggling because we touch biodiversity and nature in so many places along our global supply chains and a lot of the places that we touch it uh, or we depend on it or impact it or however you want to say um, are places where we don't necessarily own those operations like you mentioned raw materials and so on so how do you decide what the priority actions are as a sector or as an individual brand and I think the good news is that there are now really great frameworks of action that are getting developed, right? So there's the science-based targets for nature. There's science-based targets initiative for climate. And those frameworks are super important because they help you prioritize your actions. They help you understand firstly your impact and prioritize your actions. And science really matters in this sense. I mean, it matters for many, many reasons, but you can't do everything, right? You, so as you, you, know, you, you alluded to, there are so many different impacts and dependencies, but we have to look to the science to say, well, help us, you global experts. And, and there's a lot of great opportunities. You help us decide what the priorities are, right? Because they're the ones that are mapping what's happening to the earth systems and what's happening to biodiversity and tell us help us, work with us as a sector, as individual companies in the sector to identify what it is we need to focus on when it comes to our contribution back to nature and living nature and and protecting, not just reducing our impact, but helping restore and protect it as well. And so I think these frameworks are going to be very, very powerful. They're nascent. The science-based targets for climate is a, is a bit more mature than the science-based targets for nature, but they're really, really important. So those are going to help us make the right decisions. And we can't really afford to make the wrong decisions. We have to get on the right direction of travel because we don't have a lot of time. We have a decade to start, not just the fashion sector, us as a society has a decade to meet these important goals um, to stop the negative impacts on uh, biodiversity and nature and climate and to start turning it around in a more regenerative, restorative approach. So there's, there's those, that's sort of a big picture answer. I think that the next level, if you, if I had to sort of 
pick what the top priorities would be, definitely around land use change and agriculture. It's definitely, we've got a, there should be no deforestation in our supply chains. There should be no conversion of natural ecosystems for the production of our raw materials. That's just a given. Uh, and I think we need to focus a lot more attention. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff going on, but on chemicals. We use just an inordinate array of chemicals, many of which are harmful to humans and the environment. And freshwater ecosystems are some of the most threatened in the world. So if that washing those chemicals through rivers and into the oceans is a huge impact on biodiversity. So I think this whole focusing attention around some of the hotspots in our supply chain, where it's sort of land use change around agriculture and forestry, um, making sure that we don't do any more conversion of natural ecosystems and and really getting serious about tracking our chemicals and being smarter about the type of chemicals we use are two areas that of many but they're two areas that sort of come to mind as particular areas of focus for our sector i'm glad you mentioned chemicals i am curious if you think that traction on that issue is starting to pick up because it's it seems to get much less attention from the outside, from, you know, media and consumer advocacy than other issues uh, in fashion. But I don't know if it's the same, like, would you say from within the industry that there is as much of a focus on reducing the impacts of chemicals as there is on organic cotton, for example? Or recycled materials. Well, it's, that's interesting perspective. Yeah, I would I would say that there's actually been some really good work over the last decade on on a focus on chemical management. You know, the, and one of the things that I say that we do well as a sector is we're pretty good at coming together on coalitions and collective action, designing you know collective action approaches, and the you know the zero discharge of hazardous chemicals group. Um, whether it's through this sustainable apparel coalition work, there's, you know, there's a lot of focus on understanding chemicals and chemical use. Now, doesn't that mean we still need to act more? Of course, we need to make sure that this is prioritised. I would say it's always been part of our sustainability remit. I'm hoping that with the focus on nature and and biodiversity and the, the new targets that companies are going to have to set, it will shine a reshine a light in this area for us to sort of think again, what do we do about green chemistry or about replacing hazardous chemicals and so on. So I, I think it goes on. There's a lot of good, good work that's going on. But as you've said and, and we've said, there's a lot to do and people are spread very thin to do everything. So it's a case of focusing the priorities. And um, I'm hoping that, that that will become one of the priority areas, just like raw materials and not just raw materials in the sense are they organic or not, but how those raw materials can, how you can source them so that they stop the negative impacts, but also create po- outcomes, positive outcomes, restorative, regenerative outcomes. It's a new focus, you know. We're working on it. We've all been working on it, but it's sort of a new impetus to sort of get back into it. So this could probably be a whole conversation in itself, but could you just sort of quickly touch on where you think the industry is making the most progress and where you see the most room for improvement in in terms of 
the efforts that, that the industry has started to put in? I would have to say, particularly in this area of nature and climate, I think the Fashion Pact, and again, back to this idea of collective action, the Fashion Pact is a great indicator of a bold commitment by a huge range of companies in the sector to focus on climate, nature and biodiversity and to prioritise actions around those in a, in a smart and strategic way. So I think that is, is great progress. The, the hard work still needs to be done to, to put the actions in place, but we're really launching into really smart planning of what actions need to be prioritised and where is collective action important and where is individual company action important. So I think that's, that's great progress. I do think also that, you know, the work of Textile Exchange with its its benchmarking and its standard setting has been fantastic to sort of help put in place the guideposts for what you, how you can verify and what you can do. So I think there's some really good progress that's being made by the sector and it's exciting times where the coming together of climate initiatives and nature initiatives around natural solutions, nature-based solutions to figure out, okay, what can we do as an industry to get all these multiple benefits, you know, to help nature and help climate? There's a lot of great discussion. So that's all good. The hard work is really making it happen through supply chains and figuring out where you can find more sustainable materials, supporting more sustainable wildlife-friendly materials and uptaking those through your supply chain. That's the hard slog and that's what we really need to put our heads down and, and work on in the, in the coming five to ten years. That gets to something, or in my mind, it gets to something that comes up a lot in my reporting a lot, the, the lack of regulations in, in this area or you know, the lack of regulations to require the things that people are saying that fashion needs to do to really to force that change along. Are there any policies underway proposed or you know, implemented that, that you think are relevant specifically to the fashion biodiversity connection or are there ones that you would want to see to improve that specific topic? There's a lot happening in Europe, um, you know, and, and in France. We have to report very diligently on what's going on in our supply chains and what we can claim, and it has to be um, credible and verified. And I think that sort of that legal frame, that sort of legal regulatory framework, is getting stronger and stronger in different countries. That policy framework is getting stronger. I think the at the same time, the voluntary reporting. The benchmarking that, you know, you do through, um, you know, climate disclosure project or other, you know, CDP and others is a very, very important driver of change as well, because that's how companies can show their stakeholders that, look, we are doing what we say we're doing. And that is, that's getting more and more credible and more and more powerful. So I think that's a great way of sort of being held accountable. And then there is this some new initiatives that are coming out, like the Task Force for Climate Risk Disclosure, and there's a new one called the Task Force for Nature-Related Risk Disclosure that is more the investment community that is looking at companies and saying, okay, we want to know what how you're managing all this risk with climate and nature. You've got to tell us. You've got to show us if you know if you want us to invest and support you. I mean, that's, these are all early days, but all that by way of saying this idea of, of, of accountability and responsibility is 
is is becoming much more clear um, and it's sort of in different places that that will happen for companies and and that's good because it sends a message to companies that this is serious business and that you do have to put in place smart strategies to meet these demands from whether it's your investors whether it's the government or whether it's your customers you have to be credible and authentic from your position at caring on the group level, and then you said there's the brand level, and every brand kind of has their own their own strategy and way of working um, around sustainability. And then caring kind of serves as this overarching um, resource group for for the brand efforts. Um, how does that like external pressure kind of bubble up into brand strategy and then group strategy? What's what's kind of the the funnel there of where you know new initiatives might be taken on, or if there's a new external group that um, is setting up, you know, priorities, like how does that work in terms of the call to action within the company? So we we help out a lot at the corporate level. I mean, our chairman and CEO, Francois Aripino, talks about creating a freedom within a framework. So the brands have freedom to, to act within a framework of action, you know, but the framework is that we've all agreed that we all want to move together, all the brands have agreed, towards all these strategic targets that we've set for our, our sustainability strategy and our biodiversity. So we're all in alignment on that. But for certain brands, obviously, um, based on their their cultures and their supply chains, there are different ways that they will act and um, what the projects they will implement towards that. So what we do at the corporate level is sort of, also help keep up to date with what's going on and help inform and say, look, we need to be doing this and this is a priority and how about we look at this and can we engage in a project on regenerative agriculture because that's really going to help with climate and nature and and this is how we need to report back and and so on. So we really help support the way the the projects are implemented in the supply chain with the brands um, so that they fit with whatever the the regulation or the the um, reporting framework that is being um, developed either voluntary or or mandatory so we really help support that so Helen a lot of people think that if you pay luxury prices for clothes that you might be paying for more responsible production that it's sort of built into the price do you is there any truth to that uh, in terms of, you know, the sustainable practices or, or the production practices of luxury brands and for bio, biodiversity in particular? And can you comment on the role that luxury plays in contributing to biodiversity loss? And, you know, is there a unique role for it to play in fixing it? Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're really getting to a really important point here on on price and value, like are the prices that we're paying for our clothes really embedding the true value of of the materials? And so when I say value, I don't just mean economic value, the value in terms of what it's delivering in a positive sense to livelihoods, in a positive sense to the environment. So I think this, this idea of paying a right price so that you get the real materials in that are valuable in the sense that they deliver positive outcomes is a really important issue that we have to develop. We have to deal with as a sector. We really, any sector has to deal with this. It's not just fashion. In luxury, because of the materials we use and the geographies in which we produce, we tend to have a lower footprint. Um, we do a lot more in Europe and so on where the regulations are different. And and so there, there does tend to be just simply 
by the the geography and the way we process and the attention that we put to that and and uh, the volumes and so on that we tend to be have a lower footprint than perhaps other sectors but I wouldn't want to you know generalize too much because I think a lot of companies are doing a lot of really good work to reduce their footprints I think the luxury sector as I mentioned at the beginning is particularly important because we we do rely more heavily on these natural raw materials, high quality natural raw materials. So we're more affected and impacted by climate change impacts, by biodiversity loss. Um, and therefore we, we sort of have, and the fact that we use different biodiversity in a sustainable and responsible way. So Vicunia, as I gave an example earlier. So that gives us a special responsibility to really understand our impacts and dependencies and make sure that we are delivering positive outcomes. So I think there's that part of it that is important for luxury. I also think that, um, you know, luxury sort of sets trends, you know, and, and, and it's our, we should be setting the right trends when it comes to what materials we use, what we say about our materials and how our supply chains work. So that is our responsibility as well. And, uh, and I guess the other thing, yeah, no, that's, that's the main, the main things. I think we have responsibility in setting the right trend. Uh, certainly we have a slightly different relationship to nature than other, other part, subsectors within fashion and textiles because of the materials that we rely on. That's why I'm really proud of our work at Caring. I'm super proud of what we're doing with the regenerative agriculture, with Kashmir and Mongolia, with wool around the world, trying to figure out the best ways to grow and produce those materials. So it helps the soil, it helps the animals, it helps the farmers, it helps the wildlife. Um, Best thing we can do. Yeah, that's a Perfect segue. Thank you uh, for um, for talking about the regenerative fund that Caring mm-hmm. recently launched. Can you describe it briefly for people who may not be familiar with it? And and do you see it as a model that other luxury groups might follow, or does Caring view it as sort of really just to kind of get the ball rolling and to really increase, like in a really direct way, the supply of regenerative? materials all of the above Rachel like it's a great we, we launched the fund um I said firstly the fund the fund is is a, a, a grant making fund so we do a call for proposals and they're a competitive bid uh, you know competitive proposals come in there where the call is out and we're getting some really interesting fantastic interest from around the world um, and the idea is that we will fund projects that can show how regenerative agricultural practices can work will support them developing will support them so that they can replicate and scale and the reason we want to do this is not only because it provides new sources of fantastic materials that deliver positive outcomes into our supply chains and other brands' supply chains, other um, companies, but also because it sets an example of what we're trying to do. 
and it's a call to action for others. Come join us. Come be part of this. It's, it's, it's also a way of saying like, we think this is an important initiative for, for the fashion sector to take on, not just our fun, but this idea of really focusing on regenerative raw materials as, as part of what they do across the board in sustainability. This is an important piece of it. So it's about sort of catalyzing action. It's about delivering materials but it's also the third thing it's about proof of concept you know proving out well can we do this you know can we scale these regenerative grazing approaches that so that we can get fabulous quality wool farmers get great livelihoods the soil gets regenerated and wildlife can roam across these agricultural landscapes you know can we make that happen you know broader way not just in it does happen around the world and I've been I've been lucky to go to a lot of places where I see it happening but we want to see if we can can scale and replicate that great well we're almost out of time but um Helen I did want to ask just since you started roughly 10 years ago and now we are you know one year post global pandemic at a very you know different turning point for the luxury and fashion industries what's your perspective now um how different is it from from when you started and how do you stay optimistic when when there are such urgent needs that the environment and biodiversity have from within the fashion industry well i don't think there's a choice i'm a relentless optimist and um i'm hopeful too i think there's a difference between just being optimistic and and being hopeful i'm really hopeful that we can make the changes we've lost a lot um in the and i've been in this for many years working in conservation so I do get very sad when I see how much we've lost from my part of the world from Tasmania from from uh, Australia but from across the world but to your question of how much what's changed a lot has changed in a decade a lot has changed in five years and even more has changed in the last two years two or three years it's phenomenal the awareness that has shifted if Two years ago, we would be having these meetings thinking, how can we get nature on the agenda? You know, how can we get companies thinking more about how nature and climate work together and how we've got to find solutions for both, you know? And now everyone's talking about nature-based solutions, natural climate solutions, regenerative agriculture is just like, you know, booming, at least the, you know, the interest in it and now the practice of it is starting to boom more and more. So that gives me great hope as well as the fact that we have incredible data and knowledge at our fingertips to make the right decisions. As I said before, science matters. It's out there that conservation organisations, the academic organisations, they've got the information that can help us and we're starting to all talk together about how to make that happen in a really smart, effective way. So I have never seen anything like this. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Helen. It's really great to hear um, from someone in your position. And thank you, Rachel, for your insight and questions, as always. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Thanks so much. Such a pleasure. So glad you're doing this. Great topic. (laughs) (laughs) And join us next week for an episode with another leading innovator shaping the way forward for the industry. You can find all of our episodes from this series on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Vogue Business website. For more coverage on the future of fashion, subscribe to the Vogue Business newsletter at voguebusiness.com. Our executive producer was Alan John. My name is Hilary Milnes, and that was the future of fashion. This podcast is sponsored by PayPal. 
the most trusted buy now, pay later brand, according to a recent survey, which gives merchants access to PayPal's 377 million users worldwide. Learn more at paypal.com slash paylaterenterprise.